You're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Insights and Communications Executive at AMBA and BGA. I had the pleasure of talking to Jans Shandor on his new book, Game Changer, how the LGBT plus community and their allies are changing the global economy. We spoke about this book and also diversity and inclusion on a wider scale. Here's that conversation. So hi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your career, please? Yes, so uh, I'm Jens, Jens Schadendorf. So I'm uh, German, um, so European, uh, convinced European, and my background is I'm an economist. I've been also for many years a book publisher myself and leading German publishing houses, but I'm also a writer and a speaker, mostly related to topics around uh, D&I and uh, corporate social responsibility and um, leadership. And um, uh, at that, uh, in that functional sort of, I've recently published this book, Game Changer, how the LGBT plus community and their allies are changing the global economy. Perhaps I add one thing on my career, which is um, I'm based uh, in Munich, Bavaria. Um, so uh, the Oktoberfest is taking place, very nice uh, place, of course. And I've been living for about nine years in foreign countries. So for instance, I've been studying in uh, the French-speaking part of Switzerland, in Fribourg, which is a nice city. I've been also living for almost a year in Southeast Asian countries, such as Singapore and Thailand. So um, pretty global, if you want. Amazing. So it's actually your book that I'd like to talk to you about today. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the key themes, but also the inspiration behind it? The um, book came, Game Changer. Perhaps I, uh, if you may allow, allow me to, to start a bit differently. Um, uh, so the general uh, theme of my book is very well, I think, condensed uh, in the main title, which is Game Changer. And the word Game Changer is spelled G-A-Y-M-E, so gay me you want changer and the subtitle which is called how the lgbt plus community and their allies are changing the global economy so this i think um describes very well what the top the book is all about which by the way is the first of its kind globally so i'm doing self-marketing here now forgive me so um and it's basically about the rise um of lgbt equality of uh or LGBT plus inclusion in um, the global working world, basically in corporates. That's the essence of the book and how it's done. Uh, it's uh, basically a combination of um, um, telling stories about game changing, again, G-A-Y uh, spelled game changing um developments around um, diversity and inclusion and uh, corporate social responsibility connected to uh, to this topic. Uh, then also to game-changing personalities, so individuals, and also to game-changing um, companies and uh, other institutions like NGOs, uh, social businesses, but also institutions like the UN and um, the World Economic Forum. A forum, for example. So for your book, you carried out research globally. Um, and I was just wondering what your view on regulation and laws in regards to inclusion and diversity are. So uh, 
if we talk about uh, diversity and inclusion in general, but also about LGBT plus um, uh, diversity and inclusion in particular, I think we have to differentiate between at least, I want to stress this, at least uh, two different levels. One is um, the area of rules and regulations. And the other thing is um, the culture. And of course, both um, spheres have to do uh, with, with each other. So um, connecting this to the first area, which is the area of rules and regulations, I think we have to focus, one, is what uh, are states doing? Uh, so what are the laws uh, imposed or not imposed um, by um, 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 state agencies like the British government or the US government or the German government or the EU, which then triggers down to uh, every um, EU state, uh, or as well the same, of course, in Asia or in, in, um, in other regions um, of the world. And the other thing is uh, what companies um, are doing. And that's an interesting thing because what I describe in my book is that we, for a uh, a certain amount of time, what I described, taking off in basically 2013-14, we had a sort of interplay between um, these two areas. So um, state agency as well as global agencies like the UN and the World Economic Forum at the one hand. On the other hand, what companies were doing to sort of increase um, LGBT plus inclusion at the workplace. To give you an example, uh, for instance, when I did uh, research for a previous book, uh, 2014, uh, I was calling at Siemens, which I know is a major player as well in the uh, UK, but not only there, but of course in Germany and around the globe. There was a strong resistance for um, even talk about this topic. I was uh, even told that there are not even LGBT people in the company and that's not an issue and so forth. And then there was a new um, uh, chief um, HR officer and a chief a new chief uh, diversity officer, uh, so uh, Janina Kugel, um, who then sort of stimulated um, a completely turn around within the company uh, to become a real LGBT plus friendly um, uh, company globally, primarily, of course, then first in Europe and then rolling out to the US. And she was um, sort of um, making public statements in that respect. There were then as well presence at, um, for instance, Pride events. There were um, internal events where she uh, was giving um, uh, lectures, for instance, um, she was as well supporting individuals from the Pride Network at Siemens, pushing forward with their activities, for instance, to Siemens India and other things. So within a very short period of time, um, so through the initiatives she was launching, she sort of um, triggered a change, a change of culture within the company. One thing. The other thing is, in that time, for instance, 2017, um, there was in Germany, for instance, a change of law. Uh, until then, there was, for instance, uh, the possibility to um, do a civil partnership. We didn't have um, uh, equal marriage until then. But in 2017, there was then uh, a decision by the German um, parliament 
to establish as well equal marriage in 2017 in autumn, which of course then reinforced what was happening in the company uh, through uh, what the state has done. So that's an example where things can play um, together. Of course, what Siemens as well has done, but not just Siemens, it's just an example for many other companies who do did several things, similar things, excuse me, ensure that partners, same-sex partners, would uh, get the same rights and privileges, uh, for instance, getting one day off or four days off for marriages and other things, or in terms of health insurance, same things as for sort of ordinary uh, families. It's amazing how much has changed since um, you wrote your first book in 2014. That's very inspiring. There's quite a lot of like academia and press about how there's an economic benefit of diversity and inclusion. And I was wondering if you had any like specific views on that in regards to LGBT plus uh, people in the organisation. Well, um, in fact, the whole development we were just talking about was as well uh, supported, as you were just saying, by more research. Usually, uh, having been in academia for quite a while and course, I'm doing as well um, LGBT research at the Technical University of Munich in Germany. Um, so, of course, we know um, research is only possible when there is money. And of course, the biases we all face with respect to our own perceptions is also very present in the academic world. Um, so uh, for, for many years across the globe, there were only limited resources for doing research. But as time has changed and there was this sort of opening um, up for the possibility for real um, inclusion in terms of LGBT plus inclusion, there was as well a shift in terms of um, growing awareness that there was a, a, a more need for more research to found uh, what is called in academia now the business case of LGBT plus um, equality or to put that on a macroeconomic level, the economic case of LGBT plus uh, inclusion. And um, so the one thing is then what universities are doing. Uh, and of course, there's still a huge potential. It's only in the beginning. But at the same time, while there is a growing interest in um, academia, of course, especially in the um, uh, Western, um, liberal Western democracies, there's also a growing investment and attention as well in companies. Um, so there are, for instance, on a regular basis, research being done by leading consultant companies like Boston Consulting Group. They're doing every two years a, um, a survey, a global survey on coming out of people below 38 to 35, excuse me. Or let's take another example, Accenture, which um, has more than uh, 500,000 people employed worldwide, is doing as well uh, research on a very regular basis. And what the research is showing basically uh, is that, um, that it pays off to invest in LGBT plus equality and equality, uh, LGBT plus inclusion in many ways. 
for example, to give you a, an insight on the log, logic, which is behind the C-search is, um, so there are three search being done uh, on um, does or does not um, the investment and inclusion in cities um, have in fact an effect on uh, cities being more creative, being more innovative, being more productive, and and that sense as well being more apt to uh, have a greater growth or larger growth than cities who are not open and welcoming to LGBT plus inclusion. There is an organization which is called Open for Business, which has uh, his um, headquarter in uh, in London. It's a coalition of leading um, global corporate. Um, so not just British ones, but global corporates, for instance, BCG and for instance, Accenture, but also uh, some other, uh, of course. Um, and they are, for instance, doing this research on the cities I was just um, um, quoting. Um, and they as well then finding that, for instance, Amsterdam, who is very, is doing a lot of investments and being, showing, and presenting itself as being exclusive is, is a very attractive tool or is a, a tool which is very attractive for LGBT people, high quality um, uh, LGBT people to come to Amsterdam um, and to increase the potentiality to uh, to grow uh, faster than other cities who are not doing the same. Perhaps let me finish with a quote. So your question, let me finish your question with a quote of, uh, of a British lawyer whom I interviewed, uh, I think, two years ago when I was starting with my research. Um, and uh, he was saying with respect to, uh, to London that in the 90s uh, of the last century, uh, London was of one of the worst places to live, one of the worst places to live um, for gay people, meaning gay people for LGBT people. And he says, now... London is one of the best places to live. And this is, has to do with the investment in LGBT inclusion in the city, connected, of course, to the uh, economic perspective of LGBT inclusion. So my next question is about kind of people in organisations and how can they become a game changer in their organisation? And how can they do this without maybe perhaps being othered by everyone else in the organisation? So... Um, this is a very fascinating question because um, there are different perspectives on how people in an organization can become, as you were saying, game changers. So again, G-A-Y and changes. There are different, different ways. One is becoming an activist. What I mean with this is... Um, very often people just look at the leadership level. And of course, that's a very important thing. And I'm describing this in my book as well, that of course you need real leadership uh, to push things forward and to, to stand up. And this leadership can be uh, the leadership of an LGBT plus um, top executive who is very visible, uh, who is very outspoken, um, who engages um, and public speakings internally, externally, so that he can be a real role model um, and other things. And he can as well be very crucial for um, 
pushing a systemic and strategic approach approach of LGBT plus DNI in companies. So that's one kind of leadership looking at the top executive or the executive level. And of course, this not, must not be only an LGBT person. Uh, it can also be an ally. That's an interesting development uh, during the last, let's say, three or four years. And not all, not everywhere at the same speed, but it's a, a very strong um, development to that one has learned that the process of how to make an organization a game-changing organization, if you want, uh, that it doesn't, uh, that it's not enough to look at the LGBT plus community um, as such, but to be to have in what is called an intersectional approach. To, to combine different um, um, perspectives, let's say, for instance, the gender perspective, the perspective of ethnicity and the LGBT perspective, and perhaps letting people making events together on these topics. For instance, when I was publishing the German edition of my book, which is a completely different one, because now this is the global, real global one, we're speaking also because the German level is um, lower than, for instance, the British and the American level. Um, and I was invited, for instance, by the um, uh, by SAP to a large conference, and there was a reading um, already from the, from the English uh, book, I was about to write, and this was sponsored by um, the um, the women's network. So, uh, of course, then taking having then women stepping up for LGBT equality, and as well, not just uh, sort of women in not leading positions, but women in leading positions. Um, that of course helps uh, to push a game changing developments. Uh, so making a uh, organization really open and LGBT friendly in many ways. So that's another thing. Another third example, of course, you're not always, uh, you don't always need a, a leader. Uh, so a top leader, and you don't always need um, this intersectional uh, thing I was just describing. But what you need is, of course, if you are in lower ranks, if I may say so, if you're younger and you have only a young career in a, in a company, you can step up nevertheless. And that was happening increasingly. And uh, so in that sense, you can become an activist. You can be, become an activist, for instance, in um, pride networks or so-called employee research groups, uh, resource groups, excuse me, ERGs. Uh, so where LGBT people and potentially their allies are organized, meet up uh, digitally, but also, of course, um, and, and conferences or in workshops or in, for, for other occasions. And of course, people can be active there as well. And very often, uh, as we know, uh, changes don't come from the top, although they have to be supported by the top. Uh, but very often new ideas as well come from, from amidst the organization. Very often they come from the very young and companies and organization as a whole who want to be um, uh, up to date. Of course, they have to look what the young are thinking and uh, what the sort of 
people who are very closely connected to um, to the generation of the 20-something or so, because this is the future of the society and of companies. They have to look what they are thinking and how their values and expectations vis-a-vis a company um, are changing. So you can become an activist in that sense as well, even if you're younger, for instance, uh, as an activist in a an LGBT plus um, research group. I completely agree. My last question is kind of around your book and what personally for you was kind of like the most inspirational thing that you found from your research and maybe the same thing or something different is what do you think is like one piece of research or something you found out that every organisation should know um, to be able to positively positively, um, commit to the LGBT plus um, inclusion in their organisation? Perhaps I can give two examples. One uh, is the learning how fast things can change if uh, companies learn to read the runes and act um, fast. In my book, I describe the example of um, an Italian uh, pasta company, uh, many of us know, which is called Barilla. And they had a nightmare scenario in 2013 when their um, owner, one of the owners, um, the, the Barilla brothers, spoke up negatively on LGBT people. And there was a shitstorm and there was a very strong reaction to this. And then Barilla started a journey, which was amazing and is still holding until today. They were awarded prizes for them. So that was a very fascinating learning. So even, um, and it's a, it's not a global corporate in the sense, as we know, for instance, from um, companies we were just talking about, like Accenture or Siemens or uh, Ford or whatever. It's an Italian uh, family-owned company with Roman Catholic roots. They made a mistake. And they realized that have to react to the changed expectations of the young generations, which of course triggering down to other parts of the society. And then um, they arranged a, a learning-led journey as well, included meetings with uh, civil rights activists, for instance, with um, NGOs in the US and France and Germany and the UK and other places, and really man- managed co- um, convincingly to become an LGBT-friendly a company and is getting even more successful now. So negative impact in the beginning, quick learning, staying online uh, in the sense that you keep going what you are doing as an organization. It was really an impressive um, thing I've I've learned uh, in my book. The other thing is uh, perhaps a second example. We as Europeans or Western liberal um, societies tend to have this bias just to look at ourselves and what we are doing. Of course, we have a bias as well. And uh, since I was doing as well research in Asia, for instance, or in Africa and traveling, for instance, to Hong Kong or to Johannesburg and um, so forth, we're doing research in Japan. Of course, we must not forget that, of course, there are cultural differences, huge cultural differences um, between these different regions of the world. And and if uh, we as individuals, but as well as organizations, as companies, we want to be successful and to pushing LGBT inclusion for economic, but also for human rights reasons. 
then we have to acknowledge as well this, these cultural differences. And if we do not, we fail. Perhaps last thing, I think we are in a very interesting point of time. And I think that we actually facing um, the possibility of a new momentum uh, because we have um, several things. We have these ruptures because of the pandemic, um, this disruptive force of the pandemic. We have um, the um, uh, Black Rights Matter movement. We have the Me Too um, movement still having it, so which as well uh, has to do with um, uh, uh, intersectionality, of course. Um, we have a less less activity as well in certain um, states like China, for instance, or Russia, less awareness for human rights. But on a global level, now with um, a new uh, administration in the US and with a strong commitment as well from the EU, I think there is the possibility of a new momentum to rethink as well what inclusion means for society. And that's voices in my interviews who were saying that they see ourselves, um, so the whole world at a new sort of 68 movement, a, a period of new big social change connected to all these things like um, ethnic inequalities, um, gender inequalities, LGBT inequalities, so forth. So there's a chance now, a new momentum, which of course is a very positive thing, not just for societies, but also for companies and each individual. I think that's a really nice positive way to round up the podcast, especially when current times are slightly depressing. I think it's nice to look forward to something good. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been very inspirational. Thank you so much to you. Well, that was such an inspirational and thought-provoking conversation and one with a really positive end as well. If you'd like more about leadership, head to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen out for the next Ambition podcast released every Wednesday.